Well, hello, Harvest Community Church and friends and, and guests and uh, whoever else is, is, is joining us today. I, I uh, just want you to know that I have a sanitized sermon today and everything. This ought to do the trick. Look, this is precious stuff. I think I could sell this to any one of you people. And so I will be auctioning off the Lysol. My way of saying another week in quarantine, quarantining the healthy and every Everyone doesn't know what to do about this stuff. Um, so, wow, what a country we live in. What a time we live in. I want to sit, remind everyone to be at peace. Be at peace. God is God. And the world goes through many ups and downs. And if you study history, you see that God remains God. I think we, before I get to my sermon, I want to share two things about the present time. One is we live in an age where absolute truth has been cut off. Right? In other words, if you go to, to college, they're going to teach you that absolute truth isn't a thing. No one can really know truth. People don't know what is true. We are already seeing in our country that the news media is not a trustworthy source. Uh, but then you have social media and all kinds of, let's say, a whole world of citizen journalists, and you don't know what's a trustworthy source. And, and so now you don't know what's a conspiracy theory and what's an actual conspiracy and what is true. We're at war for truth right now. You live in an age that is at war for truth like no other age has been because mankind doesn't believe in absolute truth, and now we're reaping the harvest of that thought which has been in our world for, for decades. So you don't know if the news is true. You don't know if what a professor teaches is true. You, you, you're, people are looking for what's... Even history is being rewritten. So you don't even know if history is true. What is true? The Bible says that man is ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. I want to remind you that you can know truth. Truth is a thing. There is a God... And you can perceive reality that's in line uh, with truth. But especially we have the Word of God, the Bible. Do not neglect your Bible during these times. This is the truth. It not only gives you words that are true that you can understand, but if you're humble, it'll make you wise and discerning. So you'll even be able to sort through the lies of your culture. So if you're panicking, not knowing what's true... Um, then go to your Bible and become a, a good truth understander. The second thing I want to share with you um, is we all in America who were working, just about all, not everyone, got a check for around 1200 bucks per person, which is awesome. Um, and uh, mine's gone. <laughs> it was weeks ago. And uh, I don't know where it is. It just went to the bills and, and disappeared like money does. Um, but... Our church has an opportunity to be uh, even more cost-effective than that. We have a, a friend in India named Tilak who is able to distribute food to the poor. Because in India, you have, you have a huge, what we would call, poverty class. And they live by working. And they can't work now, and there's no money for them. So they're not eating, right? They're cutting... <laughs> That's how they handle that. Well, just no food. Well, how do you help them? Government agencies is not a good idea. There's no guarantee it'll get there. Um, and, and we can't change all of India. But because of the 
being Christians and having a Christian there on the ground, um, we can be a part of the team that helps him. And so um, we, uh, the elders are, are sending $1,000 there. You say 1000 that's it? What's that going to do? Get this, because of really the value of the dollar, uh, which is about 70 to 1 to what their money is, we are going to, with $1,000, you are, all of us at the church sending that little bit of money, are going to feed 70 families for a month. And we know it's happening. We know, I was just visiting the man last year who, who's done this. He's been to our church. And so we know him. We know he's a good man of integrity. He loves Jesus. So 70 families for a month. That's something to feel good about. Um, those 70 families will receive that food in the name of Jesus. So that's an awesome thing. Okay, well, let's jump into the word of truth that we can trust. We're in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 48. Mark 9, 38 to 48. Okay, Mark 9, are you there? Here we go. Verse 38, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. (laughs) John has a problem. Right, He sees a man who's, we don't know who this man is. Now we can guess, there is, uh, we can make a deduction, let's say it that way. We can deduce that he knows who Jesus is. We can deduce he probably followed Jesus enough to hear him and see him and even believe in him. Right, so he is a Jesus guy. Now here's John's problem, he says, The problem we have is not that he's casting out demons in your name, which means he's teaching about your power and your greatness, um, but he's not following us. We invited him. If you want to be on Team Jesus, you got to come with us because we are Team Jesus. And he said, love to, but I'm kind of busy over here casting out demons and whatnot. And so John is, is trying to understand how does authority work? In your government, Jesus, in your kingdom, in your club, in your organization, how do you want to work who gets to do uh, what? Who's authorized to teach in your name? I know I am, John could say. I'm one of the 12. Um, I don't know if that guy is because he's not with us. It doesn't make sense if, you know, he's over there, but our team's over here. So he's working, obviously, not for our team. Um, John's thought is, we needed to restrict access to, this, to these things we do, the, 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 the good deeds, the teaching, to the people who we're certain are in our club. We've got to keep out the people who aren't willing to hang out with us all the time. This is, this is the problem he's having. He's trying to sort through this. How can a man be of Jesus if he's not with us? And Jesus takes this and gives us a, everything, everything that comes for the rest of our text is precipitated by John's question or his statement, really, um, uh, which is like a question. There's a guy casting out demons in your name, and I told him, stop it, because he's not following us. So everything that follows here is Jesus discussing that, right? And, but Jesus isn't thinking about that guy so much. He's looking at the big picture, all right? So let's, let's go to verse 39. Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no... Did John have to run back and say, Okay, go. 
<laughs> I don't know. Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. So verse 40 is his principle. And now he's going to teach on this principle the rest of our verse, so, or the rest of our text. So we're holding that. He's, he's, he's going to, he who's not against us is, is for us, right? Now, his application in the local is leave that guy alone. He's, he's, he, you may not look like he's on our team, but he's on our team let him, let him do what he does. Now, th- this leads to all kinds of questions that I'm not going to tackle, only because of time, and really this isn't the place. We want to stick close to our text. But it leads to questions of, of when does doctrine matter? When do you say, no, don't teach that, do teach this? How do you make sure people are teaching the true truth? Uh, there are many people who use the name of Jesus wrongly. And, um, and, and, and how should we handle that? How has that led to, uh, to, to heresy and I'm not going down that rabbit hole, okay? If your brain didn't go down that rabbit hole, fine. If yours did, I'm not going there today. Um, But I do want to point out uh, something big picture here, and that is Jesus is not centralizing the governance. (laughs) Um, Well, in a sense, he is. He's the king. He is is, uh, command and control, right? He is HQ. He He is the central leader. But... On earth, he is not saying everything has to be in one place or we're all in one place. Now, the earthly way of running anything is centralized. Anything, whether it's a government, whether it's a business, anything. You centralize it, it's normally in one location. And, and there's power in that because everyone pulls together. But there's also a very great f- fragility to centralized things. Centralized things can't last forever. They have a way of losing their, their vitality. They lose their elasticity, whether it's a government, whether it's an organization, whether it's a church. Any, anything that remains centralized can become bogged down in tradition, can lose its vision, can lose its ability to think, um, as they say, outside of the box, and I would say creatively and reasonably, and, and it can break. And it also, if it's centralized, if it goes wrong, everybody goes wrong for a long time. Jesus' church, uh, if you look throughout history, the strength, you wonder how does the church survive to this day? How come there are Christians at all with all the mistakes people make and all the ways the church has gone wrong throughout history? The answer really is right here in this principle. We are not centralized. <laughs> it, 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 is, we, it is easier as a network of, of churches throughout history to to grow and reform and to fix problems, to correct mistakes, and to have new life because we're not centralized. But again, that is a big rabbit hole. And let's come back here. Let's look at the immediate. Jesus is, is, is focusing on teams. There's two teams. There's team Jesus, and there's team not Jesus. Or we could call it, we will end up calling it team sin. So there's team Jesus and there's team sin. And Jesus is saying, that guy's on team Jesus. Leave him alone. <laughs> He's not on team sin. Um, to uh, get this big idea, let's, this is in our map, the first point in our map. Jesus is the dividing line. If you, or if anybody, gets an honest look at Jesus, he forces you to choose one side or another. 
So, so you're going to be on one kickball team or the other. You're going to be on one team or the other once you see Jesus, right? Once you see Jesus. Um, there's no staying neutral. You can say, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm kind of agnostic and I'm kind of live and let live. You know, um, uh, you do your thing. I do my thing. We're all good. You have your truth. I have my truth. I just don't want to get in a fight. You feel strong about this, about Jesus? Good. You feel strong about something else, good, just leave me out of it. I'm going to stay neutral. There's no neutral. There is no neutral in the Bible. Why? Because humanity is at war with God. This is a truth from the Scripture that you can count on as true. Humanity is at war with God. Don't believe it? Look at humanity and look at God. Humanity's always gone wrong, always will go wrong. We are fallen into sin. Uh, we, we therefore align ourselves with our own self-exalting ideas, which is in alignment with the spiritual force of evil, which is Satan, who is self-exalting. And, and we do not align ourselves with God, um, who is the God, the only one worthy of being exalted. So mankind is either, is either against Jesus or for Jesus, any individual human. As nature calls, we're all against Jesus until we're not. So what happens is we're all against him, so we're all on the wrong team. Then when Jesus shows up, he says, would you like to join my team? Everyone who says, I'll switch teams, switches teams. Everyone else stays on the first team. And there's no neutral. There's no third team. There's no, well, I'm not going to play, right? Since we're all at war with God, one way to say this is Jesus is coach of the of of the team called Peace with God, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Peace with God team. is Jesus is the coach. <laughs> um, but we are all on team war with God, with Satan as the coach. And Jesus' function in the world is to, is to recruit from Satan's team to, to, to his team. Let me show you this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Paul explains it very well. He says... Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. To reconcile means you were once not reconciled. You were apart. So you were apart from God. And look, he, he brought you close. Then it says through Christ. Jesus' function was to be the reconciling force for mankind. He, he reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, this is a, an important ministry. We won't be going and talking a lot about that, although Jesus will lead us to that kind of next. But what he's saying is now, now that I'm on Team Jesus, I'm a fellow recruiter. I have the ministry of reconciliation. I can go and say, Jesus is, is my team captain. Come join us. So Jesus was saying to John, look, that guy, he's saying, come to me. So leave him alone. He, he's recruiting for the team. Um, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself so God's purpose in sending God so loved the world that he sent his only son what was his purpose? that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life I'm reconciling the world anyone in the world everyone in the world man, woman, boy, girl, slave, free, black, white any color, anybody if you, if, if, I want you to come to me and I'm sending Jesus to, to reconcile you to which mankind can say well, wait a minute, we're evil and sinful. What are you going to do about that part since you're holy? And then he says, not counting their trespasses excuse me, against them. Meaning Jesus died on a cross to take care of sin, right? He was the innocent one. 
and he took our trespasses on him and he washes them away. So if you'd like to join Team Jesus, the first thing you got to do is hit the showers. <laughs> you got to get cleaned up and he'll clean you up uh, because he died on a cross, shed his blood to do just that. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So that's how Paul puts the two teams. Um, you have team world that needs to be reconciled to team Jesus. So humanity is at war with God. Peace comes through Christ. Upon hearing of Jesus, no one can say, I'm not going to choose. You are either for or against him. And that, is, that seems to be, in verse 40, what he said. For, for the one who is not against us is for us. John, this guy is not against us. He's on our team. Verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of cold, a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, if someone gives you water, and this is assuming you're thirsty, right? You're thirsty, you need a drink, someone says, you're a Jesus follower, I'm going to get you a cup of water, because I love Jesus followers, because you belong to Christ will by, by no means lose his reward. Jesus is saying, look, even, not only is that guy who's casting out demons on our team, even the water boy is on the team. Uh, If you know what a water boy is, someone who brings water to the football players, although now there are no water boys, there's there's Gatorade girls. If you watch football, um, the girls run up, and you're not allowed to call them girls because somehow that's insulting, they're they're Gatorade women, and that's probably not the right way to say it. You probably have to say some sort of electrolyte sustenance supplying um, administrative uh, uh, executive uh, distributor or something like that. But I call them Gatorade girls. And he's saying, look, if, if, if the water boys on the team, the Gatorade girls on the team. Now let's think about that for a minute. What's he saying? He's saying people <laughs> in this earth who look at you, John, um, who, who, who look at you as an apostle, who see that you're doing my work, and that gets them happy, and they want to be a part of it. They're even contributing to it with their own good works. Um, and they're part of the team, too. Uh, so the team has, has you, John, <laughs> that guy out there casting out demons, John, but it also has people who, who are taking care of you, Right? In other words, um, people excited about Jesus are excited about what you're doing because they're on the team. Something's changed within them, and they get excited to hear about Christian missions. When I began the sermon, I mentioned that we, uh, you, this is why it's important to keep uh, being generous, right? So we're being generous with some people in India. And, um, and, and I said, all that's being given out in the name of Jesus. Many of you said, yes. Don't give out food unless Jesus' name on it is on it. Why? Because you're on Team Jesus, right? And you want to, it gets you excited to think that something's going out in his name. Well, that's because you're on the team, and that's what Jesus is, is saying. He's trying to show how the, the, the organization works, if you will. But then he gives an inverse application. Remember, he said those, there are those who are against us. What would they look like? Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So you got the water boys or Gatorade girls and they're helping out, but then you got these other people who, who aren't in favor of the team. They're causing these little ones to sin. There's no reason, by the way, in this case to think little ones are children. I know when we think of little ones, that's where we go, but this is in the context, there's no 
It's not a child thing. He, I think he's talking about believers, obviously, um, perhaps new believers. And, and what he's saying is if you lead a person, seeking to lead a person away from the ways of Jesus, it's a grave sin. How grave a sin? Well, you take a millstone. Now, if you live in western Pennsylvania, like many of you hearing this do, you've probably seen millstones because we don't use them that much anymore. I don't think we use them at all, but they're, you'll see them. Some people own them, and they're very heavy, and they might put them out by their mailbox or something, and it looks like a big 400-pound stone donut, all right? Now, take a, if say you're going to the edge of a deep water, and you're on the pier, and you put on, not your swimmies, but a 400-pound stone donut. <laughs> and you jump off, and then the 400-pound stone donut goes down with you, and it's tied to you. Um, guess what? You're going to die. <laughs> and Jesus says, you'd be better off doing that than causing someone to sin, especially a believer. Let's get this down in our map. There are many who work very hard to convince people not to follow Jesus. And there are people who misrepresent what it means to follow Jesus, make a religion based on their own fleshly uh, desires. It's better not to breathe air than to use your life leading others away from Jesus. It's better not to breathe air. Again, there's no neutrality here. I want you to see something. You're going to live your life, and you're going to teach on purpose things to do, teach people to do things. You're going to encourage people to do things. You're going to ask people to do things. Come on, let's go do this. And by your example, because humans, we, we all follow examples. Everybody does. Uh, we choose who we're going to follow, and then we follow their example. You're going to be teaching people. <clears throat> There's no neutrality here. Once you hear the words of Jesus, you're either going to move them towards Jesus or away. Those are your two choices. And no man is an island. No woman is an island either. And no woman wants to be an island, right? <laughs> might want to be a, a little hourglass shape of land, perhaps a small uh, little... Or, um, peninsula with a nice shape, but uh, none of them wants to be called an island. But in any case, no man is an island, no woman is an island, meaning you're not alone in the world. You are leading someone, even if it's simply by example and what you ask them to do. And if you've heard of Christ and you're not leading them towards Christ, you're leading them away from Christ. And if that's so, better to have a 400-pound stone donut than you to walk on the earth. Uh, which, which, side note, parentheses, when Jesus gives these comparisons, you can't help but think that hell is worse for some people than for others. Not going to go anywhere with that, just going to drop that on you and leave it. So, let's see something. There's two teams. There's team Jesus, and then there's team sin, all right? I could call it team human, but then it's team sinful human versus team glorified human. So let's call it team Jesus and team sin. You're going to be on team Jesus or you're going to be on team sin. You're going to lead people towards team Jesus or you're going to lead people towards team sin. Now Jesus is going to talk about what it's like uh, or how you should respond to the temptation to sin. Verse 43 says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now sin is anything that goes against God, right? 
doing things wrong according to God's rule, not your rule, right? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? It's better for you to enter life crippled. Jesus is not politically correct. Someone needs to tell him that means otherly enabled or something. It's better to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Sounds like a U2 album, doesn't it? The unquenchable fire. Don't go to a, don't go to a fire that can't be quenched. Um, when's this fire going to stop? It's not. Well, it's better to not have a hand than go there, right? Um, just like it's better to be at the bottom of the sea with a stone donut than leading people astray. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. So we have unquenchable fire, and then we have hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not Quenched. What is this saying? Sin is wicked. Sin is bad. Sin may seem good. It is not good and it's not okay. Sin is anti-Team Jesus behavior. And, and to be anti is not to be, it's not like the Browns and the Steelers. You know, they, I like to make fun of the Browns, but let's face it, they're, they're the same Quality of people is on the Steelers. Well, not players, but same. They're just humans with, with football clothes on, right? <laughs> so it's hard to say one is really good or evil. The one you like is good. The one you don't like is evil. Not so with Team Jesus versus Team Sin, right? Team Sin is evil because Jesus is the only good way. So, so when you are sinning, it, it's, not a, it's not just choosing another option an alternate lifestyle. It is doing wickedness like Satan. Think Satanism. You know, think of somebody like sacrificing a cat in the woods or something. Right up there with that. Or worse. <laughs> Sin is self-destructive behavior. Sin, when you do it, you, you, you want to do it more, it becomes, it becomes your, your, your hunger, and, and yet it's destroying you the whole time you do it. It enslaves you, and then it destroys you. Sin uh, is world-destroying behavior. When you sin, you're not an island. You hurt other people. The butterfly effect, at its worst, you, are, you do a sin, someone else is hurt by it. There's no way out of that. Sin means to be against Jesus. You are either against, Whoever is not against us is for us. Well, if you sin, you're, you're doing behavior of those against Jesus. So Jesus is saying, look, do anything you can to avoid this. Now, want to be clear, he's using um, uh, figurative language, and he's doing it on purpose. His present audience knows it, so don't be stupid. <laughs> this is right up there with people said, Trump wants you to, what, drink Clorox or something. It was just something stupid people took. Well, those same people will probably take what Jesus said and say, Jesus wants you to cut off your hand. Um, uh, <laughs> one time, um, uh, I, I was a brand new Christian, right? brand new, just a month or two in, and my girlfriend was too, and I was telling my girlfriend, I was all excited about uh, this text, and I was talking to her about it, but I didn't think she was paying attention to me, and I'm like, I'm reading the Bible, and you're not even paying attention to me. She goes, yes, I am. You said if you love Jesus, pluck out your eye, and I'm like, <laughs> um, so I guess she was listening, 
Jesus is not saying pluck out your eye or cut off your hand or cut off your foot, right? His point is this. Um, sin is so serious that you need to make war on it. You need to make war on it. And you might think, no, I need this sin. I need, I must live with my girlfriend. <laughs> I have to do that. I must steal or lie at, at work or I'm going to get fired. I have to have this drug because without it, I'm not happy. I must do this sin. Jesus says, if you think it cripples you to not do the sin, better to be crippled. Make war on sin. So let's, let's get this into our map. Mankind by nature is at war with God, right? Because sin is against him. We are bent towards ourself and towards sin. We sin because we want to, right? You're not a victim of sin. We embrace sin. We do not do, but do we consider what it costs? Jesus is saying that sin is never worth what it costs. No one sins because they think it's not going to be fun, at least for a moment. The Bible says sin brings pleasure for a season. And it's, that season can be very short, but that's why you do it. Are you for Jesus? Are you on team Jesus or team sin? All right, so where we are so far, he said, look, if you're on team Jesus, you're going to love me, you're going to work for me, you're going to give water to people who like, who do work for me, you're not going to cause other people to stumble and fall away from me, and you're going to make sin your enemy. Is sin your enemy today? Is sin your enemy today? Look, by the way, I'm not saying that everyone on Team Jesus never sins. I'm not saying that at all, that we never fall into sin. Sin is my enemy, but it sure is enticing, right? Uh, sin is my enemy, but it can be very interesting. And it calls to me, and it calls to my, I was born in it, calls to my nature, and says, remember how much fun I am? And Jesus points my eyes to the cost. He says, look, this, this is bad. <laughs> I mean, you should be cutting parts off instead of doing this. But here's the good news. For those who love Jesus and make war with sin, all my sins are forgiven, even the ones I haven't done yet. And someone could say, well, then why don't you just go ahead and sin then? The answer is, I'm not on sin's side, right? The answer is, I'm on Team Jesus. In other words, I'm not hating sin so I can stay on Team Jesus. I am on Team Jesus, and that's the other team, and I hate it. Let me say it another way. In my own nature, I'm on Team Sin, and I love it. But when I am put on Team Jesus, he gave me a new spiritual nature, and that nature hates sin, right? So the only time I want to do it is when I'm not, not in the new nature, I'm thinking of the old. Oh, yeah. You, this is what it means to be born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So, so I... I and let me say it another way. You can't be for and against Jesus at the same time. You can't be for and against Jesus at the same time. If I loved sin, if sin was what I want to promote, and I've got a Team Jesus jersey on, I'm a liar. 
Why do I not just sin, even though I know he's forgiven it? Because that's the other team. Following Jesus means internal change. To be cleansed of your sin. To be made new. To have your sins washed away. For you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. But he has made you alive in Christ Jesus. I was dead, now I'm alive. My sins have been separated from me as far as the east is to the west. And I was born again. There's a change inside. And the first and most important change that Jesus did was he changed my mind. He said, you think you need to be oriented towards everything you think you want. And you need to be oriented to everything you think is smart. And you need to be oriented to everything you want to choose. And I'm telling you, you are, you're, you're a lemming running off a cliff. Stop that. Come my way. And I will cleanse you and I will, I will teach you to walk in the ways of God. And God made you and he knows how to make you blisteringly happy. He knows how to make you ecstatic and live forever and be joyous and have peace. So you think you know the way. I'm telling you, you don't. Go my way. And that change of mind, that turning away from sin towards Christ, you know what that's called? Repentance. You ever heard the word repent? That's what it means. (laughs) Some, Some say repentance just means you stop sinning. You know, it results in you changing your behavior away from sin. But it really means that you changed your mind about the subject. My mind is different. I used to love that. I don't want that anymore. Now I want holiness. Now I want holiness. So Christians, you're going to fail at times. But the Christian who fails hates it. And and when he doesn't hate it, he hates himself for not hating it. (laughs) And he wants to get back in. And he wants to be right with Jesus. He wants to know he's not off the team. Jesus says, you're not off the team. I'll restore you. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. So the word of God keeps us from sin. Good, that's what we want, right? If you say, well, I don't want to keep from sin, then maybe you don't know him. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So look at it this way. Put it another way. Sin is a setback for me as a Team Jesus member, right? Sin is a setback for members of Team Jesus. Sin is an opportunity for Team Evil. Whether you put on a Jesus jersey or a sin jersey, your heart shows who you really are. If sin is a setback, (laughs) if you're on Team Jesus, but sin is an opportunity if you're not. And now the final verse, I want to give you a note. In case some of you may have noticed this, some of you may not have, and you wondered if I was going to mention it. You might note that verse 44 and 46 are missing. Right? Um, (laughs) um, We're not ready for that yet. You might notice that that verse 44 and 46 are missing. We're not to that yet. Thank you. Thank you. Where are they? Where are they? Verse, um, verse 44 and 46 are the exact same as verse 48. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, so why are those two verses missing? Uh, well, they're not missing. And by the way, if you're a King James only person, as we say, say they changed the Bible. <laughs> but in the truth, 
uh, by the way, if you are King James only, I love you, but you're deceived. And don't let Satan distract you with that silliness of thinking that 1625 English was most blessed by God and that the 1625 people had some sort of uh, uh, corner on the market of God's revelation and of his, of his word. The most reliable Greek Testament uh, manuscripts that we have do not include verse 44 and 46. They just don't. Um, so how do those get in there? Um, most likely... What, what someone did was they took verse 48 and they stuck it in verse 44 and verse 46 because then you have a very balanced kind of rhythmic prose, right? It would, um, it would kind of flow differently. You'd say, um, uh, if your hand causes you to sin, you go into a quenchable fire where the worm, where the fire is not quenched and the worm, whatever. And then you say 45, if your foot does uh, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, and then if your eye does, it, and so you have a rhythm there, and most likely that was placed in there by a scribe, just trying to help out. Uh, and it's, it's not in the original manuscript. But let me say something. Whether it is, verse forty-eight is, so whether it's there or not, in a way it doesn't change the meaning of the text at all, not at all. So you can put them back in if you want to. I don't think it'll change anything. Verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched is the last verse of Isaiah, right? Redeem man, at the end of Isaiah, man, God has finished his work and mankind is redeemed and redeemed man looks back down into hell, into the ugliness of what is team sin and he sees the torment and, and that is called the worm not dying and the fire not quenched. I know that unquenchable fire and eternal suffering are things that people don't want to say is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. I know we cannot understand how that works, but do not fix the Bible because you don't like what it says. It says what it says. I think the very wonderful thing to see here is Jesus includes that verse at the end of his little talk. He quotes Isaiah, and he knows what he's doing. He picks the time when when redeemed man looks back down onto the carnage of what is human history and, and sees. And human history is not progressing. The world is not going to a wonderful place, right? These cycles of war and nations uh, are not repetitive completely. They're going someplace. And that place does not result in life or goodness. It results in death and in sin and in disease and in heartbreak and in disaster, and in destruction. So you don't want to end in destruction. Okay, now, wonderful tech person, let's put that in there. Now, people talk of going to hell, but really, no one simply goes there. <laughs> uh, go to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Okay, I'm going to hell. No, nobody goes there. Nobody goes to hell. Nobody says, I'm going to go now. No one with their will says, I'm just going to jump in the lake of fire. <laughs> Not even ACDC. <laughs> Not if they saw the lake of fire. Rather, they're thrown into hell. Right? That's seen in verses 45 and 47. Who throws people into hell? Not the devil. You say, the de no, the devil doesn't. <laughs> the devil has got to be thrown into hell. He doesn't want to be there either. No, it's Jesus who does it. And he delegates because he's a good manager. He has angels to do it for him. Look at Revelation 19. Then I saw a great white throne. This is the end of all things when all sinners 
are resurrected from the dead. We know the righteous are resurrected when the Lord returns, but did you know that after that, that all the sinners are resurrected too, and that they stand before Jesus, and you know what they're judged by? Their deeds. And if you were judged by your deeds, you'd go to hell too. That's why you need to be on team Jesus, because he died for your wicked deeds. But anyway, I saw a great throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. He made them. He, I mean, the earth is afraid of Jesus. He's, so not because he's evil, because he's powerful. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. And another book was opened. Now books we know from other texts is the books of their deeds. But there's a, a book that matters most. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. No one goes to hell unfairly. You go according to your deeds. If your deeds show that you're holy, you will not go to hell. Unfortunately for mankind, apart from Christ, no one's holy. And the sea gave up the dead that were in them. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. People who had killed people and had gotten away with it on earth did not get away with it then. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. Why? No more grave. <laughs> After that, no one who goes who's not in the lake of fire doesn't have to worry about any kind of death or decay or even a cut on your finger. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. This, my friends, is where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So who gets thrown into the lake of fire? Everyone on team sin. the enemies of God. Mankind is at war with God. We are not against him if we're on team Jesus. There's no third category. Jesus forces you to choose. Let me give you an illustration that maybe it makes sense to you. I know it makes sense to me. So of how the two teams, they know each other on earth, even if they don't know they know each other. If you've heard of Jesus, you pick a team. So Anderson Cooper got a son this past week. And I, and I saw that on Twitter, and him so happy he's getting a son. Anderson Cooper's gay, so he didn't, he didn't get a son. He stole a child from, its, from a woman. And the woman may have willingly given it up, but they stole from the child what he's owed, and that's motherhood. Unless tragedy happens, every child is owed by their parents that they're loved by the two of them, that the two love each other. I know that's not how it always works out, and we do our best, but the child should get that from the parents. But this child was stolen from its mother uh, so that a selfish man and his selfish boyfriend, which he calls his husband, which is not, could have a child. And so I had to tweet something, but I didn't want to be just mean, I, I thought, just tell the truth. So I did. I tweeted, every child is better off, I'm reading it, with a loving mother and a loving, a loving female mother and a loving male father. It's, it's amazing you have to say that. I put Anderson Cooper, he's selfish, indulging himself with a child, and he is. He's indulging himself at the expense of that child. I learned this not from being a good person, before I came to Team Jesus, I either would not have cared or I would have just said, yeah, that's fine. Who am I to judge? I'd have been like everybody else. But Jesus said, no, I think way differently than them. So you think way differently from them. You can influence them towards me or against me. You can pull them towards me or against me. You can declare what I want or you can not, or you can declare what they want. 
And there are many people who say, well, I'm a Christian, and I know that Christians are dumb, right? I like to listen to this guy named Clavin. love his podcast, but he's, he's an undiscipled man and an undiscipled Christian. He, he, just, he just goes, he says, well, homosexuality is okay, because it's what he wants. He has no authority. So I, I said, this is what Team Jesus would say. Am I going to convince anyone? I don't know. Just cast that seed of truth out there. <laughs> Maybe it helps someone. I got a response from someone I don't know, and she wrote, God hates you. Why did she say that? <laughs> That's her response to me was, God hates you. Well, because she doesn't know Jesus. She's against him. She's against him. So whoever God is to her, and that really is the truth. If you think, well, I'm not a Christian, but I don't hate God, you're actually lying to yourself. And you say, no, I'm not lying to myself. Well, you are, because if I begin to present to you Jesus' way of righteousness, eventually you'd get very uncomfortable. And you'd start to hate me, even though I'm just telling you what he says. Or you'd say, wait a minute, I need to stop thinking like this and I need to think like him. You would do one or the other. You would not stay the same. If you would let Jesus speak his words to you, it's either going to offend you to the point that you hate him because he's not the guy you think he is. <laughs> if, you, if you're not on his team, it's because he's not the guy you think he is. If he was the guy in your head who he really is, you would join him. So you'll either start to hate him or you'll join him. There's no middle ground. Look, we're all against Jesus at one point. I myself was his raging enemy, completely involved in me. And when we hear of him, we're given a choice. I want to read to you to end this sermon from my good friend, C.S. Lewis. I haven't met him yet, but I will. And um, he was so helpful to me when I was a new Christian and going to college and learning what those people know or don't know. So let me just read to you what he says on the subject. He died when I was four days old, by the way. Um, so did Kennedy. Out of the two of them, Lewis was more important than JFK by far. Um, he writes, what are we to make of Christ? This Oxford Don asks. What are we to make of Christ? He says, there's no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must accept or reject the story. The things he says are very different from what any other teacher has said. Other teachers say, this is the truth about the universe. This is the way you ought to go. But he says, I am the truth about the universe. And I am the way you ought to go. And I am the life. He says, no man can reach absolute reality except through me. You try to retain your own life, you'll be ruined. Give yourself away, you'll be saved. He says, if you're ashamed of me, if when you hear this call, you turn the other way, I also will look the other way. And when I come again as God without disguise, if anything is keeping you from God and from me, whatever it is, throw it away. If it's your eye, pull it out. If it's your hand, cut it off. If you... Put yourself first, you'll be last. Come to me, everyone carrying a heavy load. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat of me. Drink of me. I am your food. And finally, do not be afraid. I have overcome the whole universe. 
That's the issue, says Lewis. Well, I guess I'm just stealing from Lewis. <laughs> I'm saying the same. Which team are you on? Jesus is Lord of all. It means he's Lord of you, whether you acknowledge him or not. Which team are you on? Are you for him? If so, your life shows it. You reach out for him. You speak truth for him. You pull others to him instead of away from him. You share cold water. You share and and encourage those who love him. You avoid causing others to sin as if doing so would cause you to go to the bottom of the ocean with a big stone donut on your neck. And you avoid sin in your personal life, realizing it is death. It 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 is gangrenous. And you're on the team of life. If you're not for him, say, well, I heard you say those. I've always been against him, or most likely, I've always just figured there was neutral ground, and I'm neutral. What should I do? Well, you're not on neutral ground. You're actually against him. And what you should do is switch teams. (laughs) Switch teams, doggone it. There's a tryout (laughs) to join Team Jesus. And all you got to do to be on the team is show up. Because he has done the work to forgive you of sins, give you new life, and make you a very valuable team member. It's time for you to change your mind. No, I am not in charge. No, my way is not right. No, I will not offend God by sinning anytime I want to. Yes, Jesus, you are right. Yes, I'm on your team. You're awesome. Time to join his team. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to join his team. Father in heaven, God in heaven who sent Jesus Christ to reconcile me. Pray that to him. You sent Jesus to reconcile me to you. Please reconcile me. I want to join your team. I want to leave behind my sin. I want to leave behind my sorrow. I want to leave behind my burdens and have eternal life. Please teach me to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.